0: Wow, that was amazing. Thank you thank you for that special music. And I hear they're going to have special music again tonight. I'm looking at the program, and it says, Mrs. Humbert and Hook Trio. That's what it says. So I assume that's Mr. Hook at the piano, and Lori, and we're going to look for a third person there. So that'll be tonight. So it might be the B.O. Trio. So... Amen. Well, praise the Lord. That'll be tonight. How many are glad you're in church today? Would you raise your hand? Anybody prefer to be in jail? (laughs) I am just uh, thrilled to be here. I just can't get over the excitement in your church. And uh, Brother Dane and Joy is personal friends. They're personal friends of ours. We've known them for a few years. I'm so glad they've landed here in Pembroke Pines. And I know you're aware of the pastor that you have but I'm glad they're here because we got a chance to meet you because we like you guys. They're not even here and we still like being here. In fact, I wish you would go to the Holy Land for about a month and maybe I could fill in for them for a month because I would sure enjoy being with you and I trust the Lord will bless you for your coming today. I hope everyone here today knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's what it's all about, really. We're going to preach to those that name the name of Christ today, those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb those that have been born of the Spirit of God, those that are, have their names written in the book of life. That's the crowd I'm going to be addressing today because I'm going to feed the sheep. But there's likely some here today that are just a heartbeat from hell. It's a sad thought. But there's some likely here today that one heartbeat, they'll spend eternity in the regions of the damned. And what they just sang about is found in scripture that's why i get excited when i hear that kind of music because because he lives i can face tomorrow because he lives regardless if i take another breath or not in this life i have hope and i have reason to live and if you don't know jesus christ as your personal savior i hope and pray that before the service is over today that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to where you see and understand the gospel and be saved today. And then you'll understand why we're so crazy. We're just crazy about Jesus and crazy about God and and the things of God. Well, that wasn't in my sermon. I just got got my handle cranked. I couldn't help that. Sorry, folks. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Now, I've already had compliments and I haven't even started preaching. I think people compliment the preacher, especially if he's a guest preacher, hoping that'll shorten the message. I don't think that's going to help. I even got a clock, neon light right there. I don't know that it's going to help. I'm going to do my best to speak fast, you listen fast, to shorten it up just a little bit. But I hope and pray that when you leave, you'll say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. And I I, I think people tend to hear what they want to hear. And sometimes they hear one sentence or one paragraph that helps them in their life. And, and I'm thinking, wow, they missed a lot of good stuff in the message. But if that's what it takes to help you in your Christian life, I'm all for it. I'm reminded of that old guy. He's 92 years old, never been to the doctor, didn't like doctors, didn't want a doctor probing on him, touching him, sticking him. He just didn't want to go to a doctor, but he got to feeling so bad, he finally went to a doctor. And he could hardly hear what the doctor was saying. The doctor was talking to him. And all of a sudden, the old man, he just, he just smiled from ear to ear and, and got all happy. And he said, thanks, doc. And the doc wasn't even sure what he said. And the old man walked out and, and left the office. And sure enough, a couple days later, the doctor's walking down Main Street. And there's that old guy walking down the street with a young 40-year-old blonde, <laughs> arm in arm. He's smiling from ear to ear and he sees the doctor and says, hey, doc, how you doing? Doc said, fine, how you doing? I'm doing great. I, I'm doing better than I have in my whole life, ever since you gave me that advice. He said, well, what, what advice did I give you? He said, well, you told me to be cheerful and, and get a hot mama. The doctor said, no. I said, be careful. you got a heart murmur. So I think sometimes I think sometimes God uh, helps you hear what you need to hear, <laughs> and I hope, uh, I hope it'll be a blessing to you today. Let's pick up, in Philipp- I love the book of Philippians. The theme of Philippians is rejoice, and I like being happy because it's so easy to be miserable, is it not? The older you get, the more miserable you get. You know why? Because your body hurts all the time. And when I was young, I used to tell old people, quit taking pills, treat it naturally. I'll take anything that's legal. <laughs> I hate hurting. It hurts. Everything hurts. You wake up in the morning, you don't even want to move, and you start taking inventory of all your body parts to see if they're still there, let alone if they're going to operate. And then you find out which ones are going to hurt more than others, and that determines what medication you're going to take that day, hallelujah. I love Philippians because it's a, it's a happy book. It's a rejoicing book. And we're going to pick up reading in the first chapter down in verse number 25. And the Apostle Paul is writing this church in Philippi. And he says, and having this confidence, and, and please forgive me, you're such a, you're so easy to preach to. I told Brother Keeley, you know, your people are so easy to preach to. I think they're starving for good preaching around here. <laughs> <clears throat> and, and having this confidence, think of it. The average Christian today lacks confidence. Talk to me. The average Christian, we're bold right here in this room, Well, boy, once we walk out and head to the stores and go to the restaurants and go to work and go to school and even in our families, it seems like a lot of Christians lack a lot of confidence. But there are some things that we ought to be confident about. And Paul says... And this is the confidence. And it wasn't just a pep talk. It wasn't just trying to hype up his crowd and give them a positive mental attitude. If you read the preceding verses, he gives us some very specific uh, things to be confident about. He says, first of all, he he said, God is working in me. I'm in jail. And I know it looks like that I'm being punished for sin. And I know that it looks like life is really bad. And sometimes we judge one another by the circumstances they go through. And when they go through hard times, if you're not careful, you're, you're going to be like Job's friends. You're going to say they got secret sin going on in their life. But if you're living right for God, no matter what the circumstances are, you can be confident God is still at work. He that began a good work in you, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't take a vacation. He continuously works in your life. You mean when I'm having a fuss with my wife? Yes! When I'm having problems with my health, yes. When I may lose my job and my finances go down the drain, yes, God is still at work in your life. Never forget that. And Paul said, I'm confident even though I'm in jail, even though my life isn't easy right now, and maybe it's not the way I would have written it, God is still working in my life. He says, I understand that I'm in jail for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm going through this for a reason. People say, what is the reason I'm going through this? I wish I'd learned this so I don't have to do this again. You're going through hard knocks, the school of hard knocks. Well, I want to learn the lesson so I don't go through this again. Whoa, 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 whoa! wait a minute. We go through a lot of things and we miss why we're there. Paul didn't miss it. He said, I'm in jail for the furtherance of the gospel. I'd never meet the people that I'm meeting today if I weren't in jail. And I'm going to use this opportunity to further the gospel. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the people that you meet in your life, that miserable neighbor that you have, that miserable relative that you wish God would take on to glory wherever they're going to spend eternity, <clears throat> those people that God crosses paths in your life, remember, he brings it to pass so that you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You can be confident. He said, thirdly, I'll, if I die, I'll be in heaven. <laughs> that's not a bad, that's not a bad P.S., Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Isn't that fact? I think I'm getting a test because I might, maybe, possible, have cancer. And we panic. We don't even know we got it. We're already panicking. I tell our people, don't have to pray for a test. The test reveals what's going on. Then we'll pray for specifically. Now, if you want us to pray that you can endure the test, okay, that's another. But let's don't panic. Let's, I mean, if the chances are you may not have cancer. So if you're going to believe one or the other one, you'll believe the happy side. You know why? Because you like being miserable. And you want everybody else to be miserable with you. You can be confident of this. If you drop over, you're going to be in the presence of God. We had Dr. Art Wilson come to our church. He's 82 years old when he visits our church. And, of course, you know, we respect and revere old people. I'm not old, so don't look at me like that. But those old people, you know what I'm talking about, they walk real slow. And they talk so slow. You want to speak for them. You can guess three paragraphs before they get one word out. Amen. He gets up and he tells our people, you know, the next big event on the calendar of my life is death. And we all start feeling sorry for him. Here's an old timer. He's talking about his funeral service. We just want to hear the word of God. He said, you know, I've had to come to grips with that. I've accepted I've told God I'm okay with how I die. If I have cancer and it's drawn out for months, or even Alzheimer's and it's drawn out for years, I'm fine. How God, how God takes me, I, 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 if it's sudden, I'm fine. How, however, He takes me, I'm okay with it. And I've even told God I'm fine with when. If he wants me today, I'm ready today. If he wants me in 20 years, I'll I'll be ready then. I'm okay with the how and when. But you know, I've really got a strong curiosity on where I'm going to die. I wish God would tell me where I'm going to die because I wouldn't drive within 100 miles of that place. (laughs) Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Paul said, hey, if I die, I'm in the presence of God. And folks, that's what we need to get a hold of. Quit putting our stakes so deep in this world that we dread going home. But then he says, if I'm alive and God lets me live, I'm here for your benefit. He's confident of that. And so when you get down the pity party, as I do from time to time, and say, I'm not worth anything, I'd be better off dead, blah, 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 all that, me, me, me stuff. No, we're alive for the sake of others. God has you alive today for others. And you ought to invest your life in others. The most miserable people are people that are trying to make themselves happy. You invest your life in others and you will be happy. Invest yourself in others. Well, we didn't get to reading the text. Let's read the text. I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance of your joy of faith. Verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only look at verse 27. Only let your conversation, the word conversation means the way you live, the manner of life, your, the, the way you conduct yourself. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Folks, I've heard about this church yesterday from a preacher on the west side of this state commending you. I didn't even know that preacher. I know of him, but he's not a friend of mine. He called me to tell me he's praying for this church. He knows the history of your church and your previous pastors and the heydays and the low days. And he's excited that you guys have a reputation and testimony of growing and thriving again in Jesus Christ. I don't even know him. That's what Paul's talking. Whether I'm there or somewhere else, I will hear about your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an event token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Wow, I wish I could preach this whole passage but I'm going to zero in on 11 words in verse 27. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let's reread that. With one mind. It's pretty good. Let's try it again. With one mind, striving And the title and topic of the message this morning that I want to share with you is Together for the Faith. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach your word. And it's a a joy to be here today. Be with Pastor Dane and Joy and the 14 others, 16 folks from this dear church. And what a blessing to me to be able to fill in the pulpit today and see a church house nearly full even with the pastor out of town and, and some of its leaders to be able to experience the joy and the happiness of this people. I pray that you would encourage our hearts today to strive together for the faith of the gospel. If there's a soul here lost without confidence of their eternal destiny, I pray that they'd be saved today Lord, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bible Baptist Church, Pembroke Pines, Florida, is not the result nor the responsibility of Dane Keeley or the Keeley family. This church is not the result or the responsibility of one man or one family or listen, or even one generation. You've been in existence for nearly six decades, my understanding is. And hundreds and hundreds of people in this work have striven together for the faith of the gospel. And we have a responsibility not only to those forefathers of this church but to the future generation should the Lord tarry of this church to strive together with one mind strive together for the faith what does that mean well when we think of strife we usually think of a fuss between a husband and wife, or between neighbors, or employee and employer, or a parent and a child, or two children, or three children, or four children. I just got word last night, Bob Stevens, his oldest daughter, has just had her tenth child. I think they're going to get an understanding of Strife. When Paul says, we as a church family, we have to get our minds set on one thing. We're not going to strive with each other. We're going to strive together for something. For the faith of the gospel. Now I want to describe what that looks like. Number one, it is work. I'll have four thoughts today and they all start with a letter W. So when you get bored with the sermon, you can sort of guess ahead what the next word will be. It is work. This generation, and I'm not talking about just young people, this generation lives as if they are entitled to any good thing they desire or want. If I want it, I should be allowed to have it. And they'll go to the government, they'll go to the church, they'll go to their friends, they'll go to their families, and if they have to, they'll go to strangers and beg and steal to get it. I can't tell you how many people ring the doorbell of our church needing money. I said, does it say Soft Trail Baptist Bank out there? I'm trying to get money from these people too. You come Sunday and you see if you can get it out of them. I want to learn your trick. People think the church house is a place where they can get a handout, they think the government is a place where they can get a handout. You know why? We have developed a generation that is growing in this country with a spirit of entitlement that if I want it, I should be allowed to have it, and somebody should give it to me. And you can say what you want, but our world's governments, collectively around the globe, have produced the most self-centered, lazy, bored, violent, disrespectful, pleasure-seeking generation in the history of mankind since Noah. And it's not going to slow down. Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. God says to his people, listen, you ought to work. God said back in the Garden of Eden, long before man's sin, you're going to work. You're going to take care of the garden. And that was long, so you can't say work is a curse. Oh, no, it's not. Work was something man was made to do. But his fallen nature makes him lazy. And because of that, he still wants all the benefits of work without having to work. Of course, the young people say, well, I want to use my brain more than my brawn. Well, no wonder you're broke you've got to develop your brain if you're going to use it. That self-centered mentality has crept not only for, in our country, but into the church of the living God. Listen to me, I'm trying to talk to you as friends and co-laborers, and I'm taking a little more liberty because I feel like you like me, and I like you. So I'm going to be very straight and forward to help you in your Christian life and in this church, because you do have great days ahead of you. But you've got you to gotta toughen up a little bit because your church isn't going to grow without the devil taking notice. You don't ring the doorbell of hell and, and not stir up some, some enemy. Whoever said Christianity is for sissies wasn't a Christian. It takes real men, real women, to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. And those of us that are serving the Lord and following Jesus Christ will be the first to tell you, it is work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, you know it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. He's working in us, created in Christ Jesus for something. Unto good works. You know what's worse than a four-letter word? A plural four-letter word. Work with an S means a lot of work. God ordained that before the, the world began that we should walk in them. James says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. I want to remind you that striving together for the faith is work. Just coming to church is work, is it not? I mean, that's easy work, but it's work. And the older you get, the harder it is. There's days you just don't want to crawl out of bed. You're tired. You had a long weekend. I tell our people, if you'd go to bed early on Saturday night, it'd be a whole lot easier to get up Sunday morning. Well, Saturday night's our night to play and we want to party, et cetera. All right, just remember, Sunday's the Lord's day. You're going to come and give them second best? You're going to give them what's left over? You're going to come give them a whipped out, run down, wore out, no good for nothing body in church just so that you can say, I was in the house of God? If you're running for a marathon, you know what you're going to do the night before you run the marathon? You're not going to go out and party. You're going to get a good night's rest. You're going to eat properly so that you're ready for the marathon the next day. Why can't God's people do that? It's work. Do you know it's work to read your Bible? It's a whole lot easier to turn on the TV, isn't it? We don't even have to get up. You young people, you don't even realize how wonderful you got it. When we were your age, I'd be sitting here and my dad say, go change the channel. That was his TV clicker. I was it. What channel, Dad? Well, there was only three. go go and click, click. Go sit back down. That's not what I want to watch. Okay, let's go back up. Click, click. Today, we just sit there with a little, and we get upset when the battery goes dead. People would rather watch TV. It's a lot easier than reading God's Word. But you won't get out of watching TV what you get out of reading God's Word. I'm just saying, striving together for the faith, if we're going to get one mind, be unified, we're going to have to work. We've got to spend time in God's Word. It It takes work to pray. I said in Sunday school, my dad used to say, prayer is the hardest work I know. And that's why the average Christian prays less than an hour a week. And that's why the average Christian can't conquer the devil. And that's why the average Christian family struggles with all kinds of sin in their own family, and they're not even promoting it. They're against it. But they have no power. And you get that kind of power in prayer. But prayer is work think I'm kidding? Try praying an hour every day for the next seven days. Most of you won't even start. I'm saying, striving together for the faith, it's work. Witnessing to people, it's work. I mean, just to be thoughtful of it. Paul says, I'm a debtor. That would change the mentality of the average American today. Nobody owes me a thing. I'm the one that owes everybody. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Three I am's in Romans chapter one. I'm ready. A lot of times I go into Starbucks, I'm in there for one reason, coffee. And then I think later, I missed out on an opportunity to witness. You know why? I didn't go in ready to preach the gospel. But if I get my mindset ready, I look for people in there. Who can I chat with? Who can I be nice to? Who can I talk to so that I can share the gospel and attract or tell them about Christ? I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm just saying witnessing is work, and by the way, that is the work of this church. Tithing is work. Do you know what do you know what it's like to get money out of Baptist It's work to let it go, isn't it? I mean, you get happy. I just trust Jesus. and You can hardly let it go. We're going to take up another offering tonight. Another one? (laughs) Did we do that this morning? Did we do that last week? But we don't mind eating three times a day, or four, or five. Some of you just don't stop. I'm saying it's work, it's work to minister to people. This church is easy to love, most of you. But not all churches are like that. And you know as well as I do, there are some people that are just hard to love. Tell me, is that true or not? I'm talking about those that name the name of Christ, they're saved, they're going to heaven, you just hope they don't live next door to you in heaven. You're glad they're not going to hell, but we don't have to be neighbors. Ministering to people is difficult sometimes. When you see people go through difficulty, you think, good, that's God speaking to them. And then God tells you, go help them out. What? Help them out? I'd rather be nice to my wife. (laughs) Ministering to people, my dad used to say, the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. I remember one time, of course, he was sick, and towards the end, when you're sick, you don't have near the control. And so I'm hoping that I, if I get sick, if I get a deathly illness, a fatal illness, I'm hoping it's a little long, because I, I want a little time to get some things off my chest that I've been holding in for a long time. My dad had a family come in. He said, now, those of you who think you're going to join our church and be a big blessing to us... And that you're going to be such a big help and we never made it without you. Let me just tell you, you're bringing more problems in the church. (laughs) And it's true. You know why? Because we all got problems. But that's that's part of the work. We minister together. Man, just cleaning the building. Just opening the building. Do you know how nice it was to drive two hours this morning? Not even remember the first hour and a half? And pull in the parking lot and see cars on the parking lot. Somebody's here. Hallelujah. Somebody had to get here early to just open the building. Repair the building. Programs set up. Sermons and Sunday school lessons. I'm just saying. There's a lot of work striving together. And so if you're looking for the easy life, being a Christian is not for you. Number two, it's not only work, it's war. It's hard enough to work. But what a pain to have somebody fighting you when you're working. You know what I'm talking about? You finally come to grips with, all right, I'm going to give up my TV time, I'm going to give up my me time, and I'm going to work. And then all of a sudden you, you face opposition. Well, what's this all about? God, here I am. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do something for you. I'm trying to help you out. And you're letting all this opposition come up? It's war. The devil hates you. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, against this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The Bible says that the wicked one, the enemy, he comes to seek, to steal. He comes to seek, to kill. He comes to seek, to destroy. Listen, young people, if you have any ability at all and any talent at all and any mind at all and any gifts at all, guard it and protect it. When I prayed for my granddaughters this morning, I picked, several of them stood out to me and I thought, they had the characteristics of Proverbs 31. Oh God, Satan is out to steal from them these valuable characteristics that make her worth more than rubies. There are very few women in this world that look like this girl in Proverbs 31. And I've got some granddaughters that have those characteristics. Oh, God, help her to be vigilant because her adversary is out to steal from her. The devil wants to rob you of everything good in your life. If you have joy, he wants to suck it out of you. You have talent, he wants to suck it out of you. You have any finances at all, he wants you to spend it on yourself or some worthless cause. You have any talents, he wants to take it away from you. Listen, the devil wants to steal from you. He also wants to kill you. He wants to make you lifeless. No movement at all. To a point that even Christian people would say, you know, I think he's a Christian, but I don't know. Why don't they know? Because there's no movement. But he doesn't want to just kill you. He wants to destroy you. Remove from you any enjoyment of life, any good memory of God at all. He wants it all to be annihilated. You know why? He hates God. And because he hates God, he hates us. We fight against our adversary, the devil. We fight against apathy. The opposite of revival is not rebellion, but apathy. We have far too many people in our churches today. I can get up and say, you got lost neighbors. You know what the, ap- the average apathetic church member will say? Who cares? Now, you may not say that with your words because that would reveal your true character but you'll say it with your life. And never, ever invite them to church. Never share a gospel track with them. Never tell them what God has done for you. You know what that is? That's apathy. See, the average Christian in our churches today, they want revival, but when they say they want revival, what they mean is, They want everybody else to change, not me. I'm good as is. I'm not hurting anybody. But if you're not striving together for the faith, you are hurting people. We have to fight against our adversary, against apathy. We have to fight against attitudes. You know what I'm talking about. We had five daughters. I know what attitude is. And it can change by the moment. Romans 14, 10 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh my, think of the attitudes that, that sidetrack us in our life. Envy, jealousy, bitterness, greed, covetousness, sensuality, carnality, deceitfulness, critical attitude, lackadaisical pride. I'm just saying, if, if you have any type of a flesh like I have... I have a battle against an attitude. We battle against apostasy. Well, what is apostasy? Apostasy simply means a falling away from the truth. There have been men and women who have literally given their lives so that you could have a Bible. Are you listening? The Bible that you won't take 10 minutes to read today. You read the history of the church. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you read about that mother. They had just a portion of God's word because they didn't have complete Bibles for many years. Have a portion of God's word hidden in their home because it's against the law to have the Bible. And the soldiers come. And she watches seven sons, one at a time, slain for the Bible. She paid a high price for her Bible. Like one preacher asked us one day, What'd you pay for your Bible? I got a good one, it cost me about $75 but I'm not sure I'd want to give up one of my girls. Are you listening? We have a heritage that's gone before us that paid a heavy price for us to have a copy of God's word in our hands. You know, today, the attitude in most churches today, eh, God's word they paraphrase it, they retranslate it, they obliterate it. Show no regard, no respect for God's word. If we're going to strive together for the faith, we've got to strive against apostasy. Now, that doesn't mean that we're mean about it, but I'm not ashamed to tell people, I have God's preserved word of God. It's right here. And if you want to know what translation it is, it's the King James Version. You say, What's well, hard to read? Learn to read. Why do we have to dumb everything down for everybody? By the way, it's not as hard as you make it out to be. You just don't want to read it. Why don't you admit that? Because there's a lot of the scripture that's very easy to understand when my children, first graders, second graders, third graders, can read it and understand it and be saved, what's wrong with an adult that says he can't understand it? Makes no sense to me. We believe that Jesus Christ started the church. We believe that he gets glory in the church. We believe that he meets with the church. We believe that he empowers the church. We believe that The church is his body so that the world can see what God looks like. Jesus said when he became flesh, he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to see God? Look at me. When he ascended, he said, you want to see God? My body is the church. We're not ashamed of church. We don't have to go to church. We want to go to church. We believe that Jesus still saves people from their sins. No matter how vile, how wicked they have been, we believe that God's mercy is able to save to the uttermost. You may not feel like you're salvageable or savable. Well, that's what the devil wants you to believe. God can save anybody. But we also believe He saves you From your sin. This crowd that can live an immoral life and publicly flaunt it and say that I'm an immoral, wicked, vile Christian. That's not in the New Testament, folks. Are you with me? The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a constant growth in our life to become like Jesus Christ. Am I sinless? No. Do I sin less? Yes! I'm not the man that I ought to be, but praise God, I'm not the man I used to be. In five years from now, I will be more like Jesus Christ as I yield my life to Him. We are to preach the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible without apology. And so I ask you this morning, who's on the Lord's side? We're in a fight. We're in a battle. Now let me give you two quick thoughts, because these are the sugary thoughts. It's wonderful. You know, it's just wonderful serving God. There's nothing more rewarding than to invest your life in something that's going to last forever. It's great. I mean, it's not great to see messed up people, but it's great to see what can happen to messed up people people's marriages, people's homes, people's moral life, people's finances, people's mind, people's bodies. How they just gave it to the devil and, and did whatever they felt like they wanted and what others wanted them to do. But one day, they meet Jesus Christ. And he becomes the Lord and master of their life. And all of a sudden, they begin to think clearer. They're more productive at work. They're actually more sociable. I remember one man I remember when he got saved in our church. I mean, he was just he was just so happy in the Lord. And he came up and he said, Preacher, you're one blankety blank preacher. (laughs) He meant it as a compliment. (laughs) And I said, wow, I haven't had that compliment before. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, you know, preacher, I mean, I mean, that was, that was awesome. You're just one blanket of a man. And so I didn't say anything. I didn't want to rebuke him in front of others because he meant well. And I went to him privately and I said, you know, there'll come a day that you'll look back to this day and you're going to say, I can't believe I ever said that. You know, and that came to true reality and he laughs about it today he said I didn't I didn't know he's he just knew that when you got excited that's how he talked about everything that was his old life <coughs> but you know what somebody could have judged him right there and said he didn't get saved give it a little time Today, he's a Sunday school teacher and he doesn't talk like that anymore and he's a soul winner and he doesn't talk like that anymore. Are you with me? It's wonderful to see a person like that change. You know what's wonderful? To see God change you. I look back at my life and I'm thinking, I can't believe I ever did that. I can't believe I ever said that. I, I wish I'd never. And you, you say, well, you got skeletons in the closet? About as many as you do. I thank God it's not part of my life today that God has grown me through that. You know, that's wonderful. You say you perfect? Almost. (laughs) Not quite. Almost. I'm joking. (laughs) The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Top that. Everybody wants love. Everybody wants joy. Everybody wants peace, but they're going to the wrong source for it. They think Disney World will bring it. It will drain your wallet. (laughs) The Bible says, he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, with rejoicing, with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You want to feel happy? Go tell someone else about Jesus. It's wonderful. When I went to Baptist Bible College, I just wanted to be a youth director. That's all I ever wanted to be was a youth director. When I went to Baptist Bible College, Springfield, Missouri, they only had three courses, music, missions, and pastor. And since I was a PK, a pastor's kid, I did not want to be a pastor because my dad started a church, I saw what he went through. When you start a church, if you've ever been part of a church plant, you attract every idiot on the south side of Chicago. And people that that have a little bit of money, they think they can buy power in the church, and blah, 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 and oh my. And what it did to my dad and what my dad put up with, I was just a teenager, and I had enough eyes to see what was going on, and I thought, I don't want any part of that. So when I went to BBC, they said... What course do you want to take? I said, Well, I want the youth director's course. Well, we don't have a youth director's course. Why don't you take the pastor's course? Because you'll be pastoring teenagers. I said, No, I'll never be a pastor. And they said, Well, why don't you, um, why don't you take missions? Because reaching teenagers is like being a missionary. It's a whole other culture, it's a whole other world. And I thought, Man, if I sign up to go on missions, God's going to send me to Africa. I ain't going. And I said, no, that's not for me. And he says, well, why don't you be a music, take the music course? Because a lot of churches, they hire a guy that can do two things, you know, youth and music. And so, and I said, no, I know too many music guys. And I'm not like that. So I'm not going in the music department. Well, we went around and around and around in circles. Finally, they convinced me to be a music director. So I took the music course thing that ever happened to me. To graduate, I had to do a senior recital. But I'm not a musician. I really don't have a soloist voice. I can sing like you, which isn't all that good. <laughs> you heard the guy in the microphone today. Just kidding, guy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I just sing like every other Joe Blow in the room but I'm not a soloist like you would expect out of a musician. I'm not an instrumentalist. And so for my senior recital, I had to pass, so I learned five songs, singing. Four of them were in Italian. I have no idea what I sung. I could have been singing, Joe ran off with Susie or whatever in Italian. I had no idea what I sung. Oh, all that nonsense. And I had to play five songs on the piano. If I chose to, which I won't, I could sit down at the piano right now and play, because I do this at my church every now and then. And they go, Pastor, I didn't know you could play the piano. Now so don't tell them. And I'll just say, Well, you know, I don't like to show off, and I like to. Keep. I can play five songs. I had to learn five for my recital so I could play five songs and that's it but I can play them in a way that you think wow he can play anything no just five songs don't get excited I just want to be a youth director and I can't tell you how wonderful it is serving the Lord I've been all around the world I've preached in a lot of churches I don't know why I've got to meet some of the neatest people in the world. People have been so good and kind and generous to Lori and I. And I'm just telling you, it's wonderful serving God. When we were in Ohio one time, I remember a husband and wife came up to me after the service and said, you know, last night we sat in our car in the parking lot for three hours. And we both got right with God. We just finally... We picked apart your sermon, and I oh, no, don't do that. And we thought, no, we're going to do something about it. We're not leaving church until we do. And their life was changed. I want to tell you, that's wonderful. When you serve God, you're going to help other people. When you help other people, it's wonderful. My dad used to say, If you could prove to me Christianity was a farce, I'd still choose to be a Christian. You know why? It's the best way to live. You're going to live like the government says we should live? What Hollywood says we should do to be happy? I mean, God's laws are basically ten. It's not real complicated. Ten. You keep those ten laws, you're going to have a happy life. Then my last thought is this. Striving together for the faith. It's, it's work. It's war. It's wonderful. But lastly, it's worth it. Write this verse down in your Bible. Romans 8, 18. Some of you can quote it. For I reckon... That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. First Corinthians 15:58. You know what it says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. What's the next words? Always, not most of the time, not some, always. Abounding. Do you know what abounding means? To do more and more of. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as ye know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I tell our church this so often God never promised it would be easy, just worth it. Now, I can stand here and tell you how wonderful the Christian life has been to us. But if you really cared to hear stories, which you don't, I could tell you the hours and days and weeks where we wept and we were broke and never thought we'd come out of it. And I'm going to tell you what I tell my church. It may not be easy but it is worth it. There is a judgment day coming. And I have things that I'm ashamed of. There's no doubt that'll burn up at at the judgment. But I'm thankful because I have not been acknowledged for this, and I've not been recognized for that, and I've not been rewarded to my knowledge for a lot of faithful service that goes on beyond anybody's notice. But there's one who is a rewarder of our faith. Hebrews says he's a rewarder of them. And someday, God's going to reward us for being faithful, for striving together for the faith. Bible Baptist Church, I'm not shooting a lot of hot air at you. I'm challenging you as a brother from the south side of the Windy City, but you would think our church is really full of Floridians because it's a happy, loving, friendly, mixed culture church. It's incredible. You would feel right at home with us, except when it starts to snow. Then you wouldn't like us. My point is this. I want to encourage you as a church. Let's put the plow in the ground. Let's get to work. Next Sunday, your pastor's coming home. There shouldn't be an empty seat in here. Call visitors. Get visitors here next week. Is he coming home next week? Okay. Let's have a welcome home shout in time for our pastor. Pack the plate. Get visitors. Tell them you're going to have a special speaker next week. That's what my people do. Every time I come home, they say, we have a guest speaker today, our pastor. Fill the place up. Let's let's get to work. And let's let's pack this place out. You guys are already trending that way. Let's, Let's work till Jesus comes. We used to sing, work for the night is coming. To the work, to the work. Some good old hymns. Let's get to work. But then also remember, there's a war going on. You put forth the effort, the devil isn't just going to say, oh, excuse me, I didn't mean to get in your way. No, he's going to fight you. It's a war. But it's wonderful. And it's worth it. This morning, this is the invitation. We're going to stand in a moment. I'm going to offer a word of prayer going to ask the pianist to come and just play some music. uh, We don't need to sing, just piano music would be fine, so that we can have a prayerful, worshipful time. And I'm going to invite those of you that are saved to come and worship at the altar. That's what the word worship means. It means to kneel. You can't worship without kneeling. Now Americans struggle with that because we're not used to the old world. In the old world, they kneel before the king. Here in America, we don't have a king. So that concept, we think, oh, wow, that's crazy. But that's what the word means. and you study your Bible, you're going to find that out. By the way, someday every knee is going to bow. You're going to say, well, it's the attitude of my heart. <laughs> you're going to bow. So you might as well bow now if he's your king. And then let's pray for our church. God, help us the remainder of this year. Help me to get people in this church saved and lost. Use me, God. I got Easter coming up in two weeks. I got my pastor coming back next week. I got some special days that I could invite people to come. And then the third thing, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and the thought of dying scares you, you're not certain that you'd go to heaven. While other people come to the altar and pray, I want you to come to me and let me show you from the Bible how you can be saved. It'll take three minutes. And I'll pray with you. and You can trust Christ as your Savior today. And then you can join us striving together for the faith. You ready to do some work? Prayer is the hardest work I know. Let's gather at the altar of prayer. Let's stand to our feet. Father, thank you for these precious people and for the, for the love of God that's in this place. Would you bless the church, the preaching of your word. I pray if there's a lost soul that needs to be saved, that they'd come and be saved today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.